Recently, our family hosted a friend from Germany whose name is also Jonathan, and he goes by the nickname Johnny, which I am certain made our lives more easier for the three weeks that he was with us. Many of you met Johnny last week when we had an in-person worship service for peace, and in the three weeks that he was with us, not only were we able to bring him to be a part of our worshiping community last week, but we took him to do several things that are very local here, like going to the Interspace Caverns in Georgetown, seeing the bats on the South Congress Bridge in Austin, and even to cheer up Charlie's to go dancing downtown, which may have made getting out of bed last week for church a little taxing. Now, Johnny has returned to Germany, and many of you met him last week at a service. And he wouldn't mind me telling you that he is in a season of discerning his next move in life after his very successful time in one of the premier dance companies in Europe. Times of uncertainty can prove difficult for many people, and how we react to that uncertainty in our lives may depend on a number of factors like one's family of origin, one's mental health, and even one's privilege and power. Pliny the Elder wrote that the only certainty is that nothing is certain. Rudyard Kipling took a more feminist approach in stating a woman's guess is as good as a man's certainty. Which makes me wonder, where is Moses and Aaron's sister Miriam in this entire golden calf debacle? The need for certainty seems to permeate this morning's text. Moses has been gone for 40 days and 40 nights, not an insignificant number in the scripture to be sure, and the people are uncertain where their leader is and if he will ever return. Aaron is uncertain if he will see his brother again and perhaps uncertain of his own ability to lead if Moses never returns. When the people approach Aaron and demand that he fashion a deity that they can see and touch, perhaps Aaron was uncertain. Perhaps he was afraid if he were to say no, what would happen to him and to his family? Even Yahweh seems uncertain in the narrative, in one moment threatening to bring disaster upon the people and in the very next relenting due to the pleas of Moses. Just after the passage that was read or on your screen today, Moses walks down from the mountain with the stone tablets in hand, and the scripture reads that when Moses approached the camp, his anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets down on the ground and broke them at the foot of the mountain, and then he took the golden calf, and he burned it, and he ground it into a powder, and then he scattered it on the waters, and he even made the people drink the water with the ground-up powder from the golden calf. Then we read that Moses confronts Aaron regarding the incident, and Aaron pleads with Moses not to let his anger burn hot, which is the same plea that Moses makes to Yahweh. However, Moses, unlike Yahweh, does not relent in his anger. Rather, he unleashes it. In verse 25 of the narrative, Moses saw that the people were out of control 
And then Moses invited the Levites to take up their swords and he says, put your sword on your side, each of you go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp and teach each of you kill your brother, your friend and your neighbor. The sons of Levi did as Moses commanded and about 3000 of the people fell on that day. Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of God, each one at the cost of a son or brother and so have brought blessing on yourselves this day. But wasn't one of the reasons that Pharaoh was so evil is that he killed children? Hmm. Moses asked God not to judge the people and God relented. But Moses, when given the same opportunity, does exactly the opposite. And I believe that the key to understanding this entire narrative are these words. The people were out of control. You see, certainty for some people means taking and keeping control over others. Control over resources like land and water. Control over money control over military might, control over who can get married, control over women's bodies, control over books in libraries and public education, control over who can and can't lead a church, control over everything. The response of Moses to the people being out of control was to terrorize them and what Scholar Philippe Goulamé calls judgment by ordeal. Moses does what many leaders do when they perceive disorder. He resorts to redemptive violence based on shame and guilt. My friend and author Morgan Guyton goes so far as to ask the question, is Moses a terrorist? Think about the definition of a terrorist. He radicalizes an entire tribe of people to wanton violence in order to maintain control, secure political, religious, and ideological power and dominance. Hmm. Anglican Bishop Joey Royal's reflection on this reveals an idolatry in the passage far more serious than a calf made out of donated jewelry. He writes, the theme of idolatry is pervasive. The most obvious instance being, of course, the golden calf. And yet, between the lines, the idol of sacred violence is revealed as the more subtle and hence more insidious instance of idolatry. Moses' command to slaughter reveals the most devastating idol of all. End quote. One of the things that makes the golden calf a sin in the eyes of Yahweh is not that it represents a deity other than Yahweh. It is that it replaces humans as those who are made in God's image. But Moses, too, forgot that the people of God were made in God's image. Religious violence does that, you see. This is part of the tragedy we are watching unfold between the Palestinians and the Gaza Strip and the secular nation of Israel, both sides, it seems, as is almost always the case in war, are completely ignoring the image of God in the other.
part of how people become comfortable with such violence and even demand it of their leaders is through using dehumanizing language. And I've read accounts, and probably you have too, of leaders within both Hamas and Israel referring to people in the other territory as dogs or rats that must be dealt with and eliminated. Anne Lamont captures this well when she writes, The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty. It is madness. You can tell you have created God in your own image when it turns out that he or she hates all of the same people you do. Most of us, though our hearts break, might feel quite distant from the kind of uncertainty that results in redemptive violence. So let's bring it closer to home. Regarding certainty, Brene Brown writes, Our need for certainty in an endeavor as uncertain as raising children makes explicit how to parenting strategies, both seductive and dangerous. Do we look for quick, easy answers when we're uncertain about things in our own household and in our own family lives? One might assume that after 40 days and 40 nights on a mountaintop with God, that Moses might have had all the resources he needed to respond differently to the people's actions. After all, he hadn't even delivered the Ten Commandments, so how could the people have known that making golden calves to represent the deity would be so upsetting to God or to Moses? We all face uncertainty in life. Sometimes it can be jarring and we are tempted to be reactive or even violent when we sense we are losing control. One of the only things in life, however, that is certain is uncertainty. When we face difficult moments, we should know that we all have what we need to move through uncertainty as those who are made in God's image, remembering that we are image bearers of the divine might help ground us when life becomes turbulent. And so no matter how much uncertainty we face, rejecting God's image in ourselves and in others is not the answer. No matter how much uncertainty we face in this world, redemptive violence based on shame and othering is not the answer. No matter how much uncertainty we face, religious nationalism is not the answer. God's covenant love is deeper and more profound than all of these things. And that is where our joy and hope can be found in troubled times. Amen.